Haley. Catherine. Do you know how we got our podcast started so fast? How? We use the Anchor app. What's the Anchor app? Well, it's a really cool app. It's completely free and it'll distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Wow, it literally does all the work for you pretty much. Basically. For free? And yeah, and you can make money on your podcast. It's free. It's completely free. Anything you need to make your podcast will be all on Anchor. Wow. I'm more dependable than anyone in my life, so... I mean, (laughs) you said it. (laughs) Um, So if you guys are interested in starting a podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. Thanks. Spooky babes. Hello, Haley. Hello, spooky babes. Hello, Catherine. <laughs> Why have you drugged me here today? I did not drug you. Drag me. How, why <laughs> I don't know what that word would be. <laughs> um, why have you drugged me here today? Not actually, if it, you didn't put nothing in my drink. But like, <laughs> I don't know if that's right. I'd have to Google that. Well, that's fine. It should be right. Yeah, that's fine. Drug. Doesn't sound like. I think it's. Drag. Why did you drag me here today? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> In case you guys are wondering, we share one brain cell, and we are often wrong. <laughs> we share one brain cell, and it's the fucking seal from Finding Dory. <laughs> it could even be that we have two different opinions, and they're both wrong. <laughs> Man, we had a 50 50 chance, too. And it was a zero we got. <laughs> I brought you here today. Maybe that's a better word. I brought you here today to tell you a story of a true crime. Catherine's story time. Hey, hey, hey. I'm so excited. I know nothing coming in. I'm coming in blindly. I did mention to her that it was a local story, though, because I wanted her to be like, what? Intrigued. All I know is it's from 1999 and it's local. Anyway, so if you guys don't know, I live in Washington State with Haley. We live south of Seattle. <laughs> so if you guys know where Seattle is, we live right around there. Home of Starbucks and Seahawks and... Home of coffee and rain. And North Face. North Face. Subarus. <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> if you guys know... Um, it's just a little ditty of a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Um, it is a true crime podcast that everyone has heard of. Anyway, um, they like to do these things called a hometown murder. So this, I would say, is considered kind of a hometown murder for me. Like, my mom remembers it happening. I remember as much as I can remember from being nine years old, but I don't remember a lot from childhood, anything like that. But anyway... I do remember this, um, and people that I've talked to about this t- before I told you the story have also remembered it. So it happened, and it's very prominent in, t- in the Tacoma area. Haley will not know this story as nope. well, if at all. She was also probably only like two or three when it happened. It is one that my friends and my family do remember, and um, it is also a cold case. As we're, we're listening to this, remember that this 
this person, we don't know what happened. Unsolved. Unsolved. Okay. I'm going to love it but hate it. Love it but hate it. Okay, so Tika Lewis and her family liked spending their family nights at the New Frontier Lanes in Tacoma, Washington. The bowling alley in Tacoma, Washington. Um, So on the night of Saturday, January 23rd, 1999, Tika and over a dozen of her extended family members were at the bowling alley that night. Um, Tika was two years old, and she was super drawn to all of the lights in the little arcade next to the bowling alley. So she liked to go over there and like press all the buttons, just like a two-year-old would do at a bowling alley. Two-year-olds really don't bowl, <laughs> you know? No, so, they have a little ramp, but, like, yeah. even then, like, you, they my, can't carry the ball. Yeah, my nephew didn't bowl until he was, like, five. Right. <laughs> like, that's when he used his ramp, and he still didn't quite understand it, I don't think. So, at two years old, she was really intrigued with the lights of the arcade. So her mother, Teresa English, spent the night following Tika around the arcade as she played with the buttons on the machines. It's also really cheap and easy to let your two-year-old play with the buttons on the machines because they don't know that they're not playing. Right. They're two years old, so they don't know that they're supposed to get tickets. They don't they're know like, ah, buttons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's so many lights going on, they probably think that they're playing. So They're like, I win every yeah. time. I get a light show. Right. <laughs> um, so, around 10.15 p.m., Tika sat in the driver's seat on this game called Cruisin' World. Um, it's like one of those ones where you like, like in front of a screen yes Um, she was pretending to drive the car and Teresa told her to stay right there and she went to go check on the other kids that were at the bowling alley in the family group she turned her back for only a couple seconds and when she turned back around the girl was gone Teresa scanned the arcade looking in between all the machines in case Tika was playing hide and seek she ran into the ladies room in case she needed to go to the restroom and she found the bathroom herself. Um, In the restroom, uh, Teresa's cousin was in there changing her baby, and she said she hasn't seen Tika for a while, which means she probably didn't go to the bathroom. She ran outside the side door that was near the arcade section and near the game that she was playing on. It was just to, like, the left of the game that she was playing on, and she was sure that Tika wouldn't have gone outside by herself because she was... One, only two. Right. It was really cold out. It was January in Washington. Oh, yeah. So cold. And Tika's afraid of the dark because she's two. Right. I'm afraid of the dark and I'm 30. So let's be real here. Oh, my God. I always have the TV light. Lights up the room just enough. (laughs) She called her daughter's name in the parking lot and she didn't get any response. Nothing. Uh, so she ran back inside and grabbed the off-duty Tacoma police officer that was working at the bowling alley that night as security. Both of them searched the bowling alley, and the manager made an announcement uh, about a missing child. But do you know how bo- how busy and how loud a bowling alley is? Almost no one heard the page. No one even flinched or like thought a, a second about the page. They were just playing bowling. Man, it's loud. It's so loud in there. And there's probably music going on and other people's conversations, but no one no one um, reacted to that at all. So at that point, the police were called, um, and Tacoma PD responded immediately and started an intensive search at the bowling alley and the surrounding areas, which included a very heavily wooded area and a residential neighborhood. 
because she was so young, they also contacted the FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, just like you would when you had a Code Adam or Code Sarah at a retail store. Hundreds of officers were a part of this um, search, combing through the woods, going door to door, and they searched overnight and um, honestly had no idea where Tika had gone. They had no clues. Not even, like, a hint of a clue. Hmm. Um, it's like she completely vanished. So, Teresa, her mother, pleaded with the public. Uh, Tika was described by her mother as a mama's girl. She was very shy, unlikely to uh, be willing to walk off with a stranger. Teresa was sure that someone snatched her and ran out that door that was left the right. machine. Uh, Tacoma PD and the FBI conducted two parallel invest- investigations. One was for if the uh, was for the possibility that she was abducted by one of her family members, because she was there with a lot of a extended lot of family, yeah. extended family, which is family you probably wouldn't see all the time. And two is the possibility that a stranger um, abducted her. More than two dozen detectives were assigned full time to the case for the first month that Tika was missing. So, in regards to her parents, Tika's father was in prison at the time, halfway through his four-year sentence, therefore had an ironclad alibi. He did not steal Tika. Right. Teresa was cooperating fully with the police. She called the police. She voluntarily took two um, polygraph tests. Yeah. They, they thought that um, her mom was completely not part of the, the missing child. When they were doing that first initial search, there were two different tracking dogs with two separate handlers. They weren't part of the same company. They weren't part of the same family or anything like that. So there were two separate tracking dogs that led their handlers to a very brushy area. And at the time, the evening that they looked there, they couldn't find anything. But they returned there over the next couple of days, and they found a bundle of men's clothing. They could tell that they had not been in that place for very long because obviously in Washington they would have been really ruined by elements here, especially in January, and they had not been worn out by elements at all. So they had been freshly put there. There was a navy blue wool coat with either IS initials on it or JS initials on it. Um, It was on the tag. And then a Columbia flannel, uh, Lee off-white jeans, but these clothes were never officially linked to the case, but they were something that they, they looked into, at least. To bring publicity to this story, um, it was put on America's Most Wanted on the 30th of January, so that was about five days later. No substantial leads were generated from that. They began to interview the 300 people that they knew were at the bowling alley that night. And there were two people that brought up something that could maybe help them. One girl said that she arrived that night around the time that Tika was taken and she reported that she was almost hit in the parking lot by a dark colored Grand Am that was speeding out of the parking lot. And like he was going so fast that he like fishtailed his car while he was getting out onto like the street out of the parking lot. Um, And then there was a teenage boy who was at the bowling alley that night and he saw a man following a little girl. Uh, but he assumed that it was her father and didn't remember what the girl looked like. But he said that the man was in his 30s, has shoulder-length brown hair, a mustache, large nose, and pockmarks on his face. He was wearing jeans, a blue flannel. Remind you of anything? Yeah, they yeah. found it. Yeah. 
but yeah, they never found these people or linked them to this case. But months went by and there were no pro there was no progress. Teresa refused to let the public forget, just like JC's mom. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> right. Um, it's your fucking baby. Right. Uh, the police were not optimistic and they believed that she was not even alive anymore. Construction began on the property next to the bowling alley and investigators were watching really carefully, assuming that her remains would pop up when they were excavating that um, area, but nothing ever came up. So I would say it's very likely that if she had died, she would have died in that brush area and they would have found her then. Mm-hmm. But Teresa wholeheartedly believed that someone stole her because, because they wanted a baby. They wanted to take care of someone. Yeah. They, she, she, she wholeheartedly thought that, that she was still alive. Teresa held a candlelight vigil every year on the anniversary of the, her abduction. Dozens of friends and family would gather and pray for a safe return, and Teresa refused to believe that Tika uh, might not be alive. Mary, Teresa's mom, covered her van in missing posters with Tika's face on it. They, held, they also held special gatherings on the 4th of July in honor of Tika as well. By 2006, the case was completely cold, so Teresa hired a private detective. He was notified of a girl who was living in an RV in Texas, and he was convinced that it was Tika. Um, but after the DNA test, it was determined that she was not Tika. She, she had um, different birthmarks. She was not, it, it was not Tika, unfortunately. <clears throat> but this did bring the case back into the headlines. And in 2008, the cold case detectives were assigned to the case. They released a video from uh, that Christmas, right before she got abducted, um, to see if anyone could remember seeing a girl like that in their family, you know, somewhere, because it was, the, it was like basically the last video that they had of her at that age. They obviously have um, pictures of her, like, uh, advanced in age, but you never know if those are really what she looked like. But no leads came from that video being released either. Uh, Teresa continued to hold vigils, and in 2010, a man approached her, saying that he had visions that provided Tika's whereabouts. She was really confused by the info, but she brought it to the police anyways. Detectives interviewed the man, and he was in his 40s, and he lived in the Puget Sound area his whole life. They had never spoken to him about this case before, but through that interview, they found that he was credible enough to take his, his hints or tips... So a few days later, they dug up an 8 by 12 foot section in the native gardens at Point Defiance Park. They never said exactly what they were looking for, but they did say that they never found any evidence about Tika's case there. I don't know what they were looking for. I don't know what, what was, what the, we don't know what the guy said, you know? Yeah. We don't have any of that information. That's weird. That's really weird. <laughs> in July uh, 2011, the, the, the cold case detectives tried to see if anyone noticed um, or recognized the type of car that, that was speeding out of the bowling alley that day. If anyone had known someone who had a Grand Am that was a dark color from the late 80s or early 90s, dark windows, and a really large spoiler, it seems like a car you probably couldn't miss. I mean, I don't know. Cars have, like, big spoilers on it. I feel like you could find them easier. Yeah... If it wasn't, if it was just like a Toyota Camry green, like I feel like that'd be harder to, 
ask people to, right. to remember. Yeah, I know. A lot of people want the Right. <laughs> but like a grand am with a big spoiler, dark windows, dark color. Seems like a very specific car. Yeah. Um, but again, no leads. In January of 2012, um, they went through old police reports of the incidents involving children at that bowling alley around the time that Tika went missing. There were a few. Number one, November 29th, 1988, a man was um, at the bowling alley with his four-year-old, and he was in the arcade. Uh, the the, the four-year-old was in the arcade as his dad bowled. He went to the restroom alone, and he was found there by another patron on laying on the ground, and he had been sexually assaulted at that bowling alley. But how old was this person? Four. Four? Four? Yeah. I know, so sad. Oh, no. So sad. <laughs> a few weeks before Tika was abducted, a mother of a six-year-old stopped an attempted abduction. The man tried taking him from the arcade, and she stopped him, confronting him, and he tried to say that it was his child, but she, she you know, obviously called him out and was like, no, that's definitely my child. Like, get your hands off of him, let him go. And he was escorted out, but the police were never notified. On the same day as Tika's disappearance, um, about one mile away at Madrona Park, a man was there with his two kids around 2 p.m. And there was a man there who was trying to lure the kids to come, like, over to him. And the dad chased him off, and the man... Uh, you know, obviously was running away. There was a there was a story where they said that the dad punched him, which I feel perfectly fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> you trying to like punch my kid? Yeah, I'll fuck you up. I'll fuck you up. Um, but he ran away and he got into a Grand Am '95 Grand Am Blue. So the cold cases believe that all of these were related. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But, again, no one was able to identify the man. Do we not have cameras at this point? Like <laughs> It's 2012. Well, back then it was 99. 99, the 80s. Yeah. Did, did we not have traffic cams then? When did we get traffic cams? <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I failed my history of traffic cams. So. <laughs> I was like, there's no surveillance? Even if it's shitty and grainy. like Yeah, yeah. I feel like there should be some sort of surveillance somewhere, obviously. But, again, it's Tacoma. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is Tacoma. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> July 2012. The home of John William Black was searched. Why do you think that was? He fit the description. He had a grand dam. <laughs> no. He pled guilty to another child luring case at a different bowling alley. But somehow he was cleared as a suspect. Somehow. Did he match the description? Did he have a dark blue grand dam? <laughs> Not in 2012. Vehicle records, history, something. You know what? He must not have because he was cleared as a suspect. <laughs> I didn't go that deep into it because I can't access all of that, but... I know. <laughs> he was cleared as a suspect, so obviously not. We should, do, we should like, open up our own cold cases and solve this stuff. <laughs> we actually would ask the hard-hitting questions, and we don't care about anything. We I think that we could solve cases. Oh, yeah. 
For sure. For sure could. Yes, I agree. So if you guys want to be a part of solving cases with us, let's let's let us know, yeah. and uh, we'll go on. And we'll try to do what we can. <clears throat> Maybe we should start out with that game that you can get at like Target, where you solve a, <laughs> a murder. Just to make sure we're up for the big leagues. <laughs> so now we are present time. Well, 2020. I was just like, oh, we shot forward extremely. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing else that happened between 2012 and 2020. Uh, but 2020, Teresa is currently confronted with the idea that Tika is most likely not alive. On the 21st anniversary... Um, they were trying to find the teenage boy that described the man that was following the girl around. That was in his 30s, uh, 30, 30s, or li- 30s to early 40s, white, curly brown hair, mustache, pockmark face. They were not trying to find the teenage boy, I'm sorry. They were trying to find the man that the teenage boy described. Detectives believe now that that man abducted Tika. Teresa says that if that man took Tika, that she is most likely dead, and she will not. But she will not stop looking for her. There are seven hundred tips that have come in on Tika's case. They have traveled all over the United States to Florida, Kansas, Colorado, and California, and they have tried looking for her in those other places because they got tips from those places saying they think they found her there. Um, and they really just need the help to obtain any kind of justice they can find for Tika. Mm-hmm. So, that's all we have about the case. I'm going to give you guys a description of what Tika looked like. Um, and where you can call if you have any tips. I know, it's a stretch that someone listening to this podcast <laughs> will know anything. But... You never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I want to give you guys all of the um, tools and all of the options. And if miraculously someone had a tip, they will know where to find the, where to send that tip. When Tika Lewis was taken, she was two years old. She is currently on the Washington State Patrol missing children's uh, list. When she was mis- when she went missing, she was two years old. She was black, she was three feet tall, 35 pounds, eyes brown, hair black. She was last seen in Tacoma, and they have a photo of her that's aged up to 13 years old. When she was taken, she was wearing a green Tweety Bird sweatshirt, white sweats, black, uh, and black and white Air Jordans. She has pierced ears, dimples, she's diagnosed with am, um, asthma. Um, she also has patches of discoloration on her face due to eczema. If you have any tips, you can contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 1-800-THE-LOST, 843-5678. Now, it's only been 22 years, so I believe that there is hope. <laughs> yeah, you just keep, keep on... Keep on trucking. There's no evidence to prove that she is no longer alive, so... There is no evidence. You're right. So that's the story of the disappearance, I'm going to say disappearance, of Tika Lewis. I really think she could be found, so I I don't think that she's not alive. We have hope here. Spooky babes have hope. We do. Because you can't have hope. (laughs) What can you have? (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us on that that um, story. Cold cases are kind of like yeah. a bittersweet, you know. Like, uh, yeah. I know a lot of people love cold cases, um, but they're also really hard because you know, it's not <laughs> it's not certain of what's happened to anyone. I don't know. It just leaves you like this is with this uneasy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like you <laughs> you had a song that you were singing and then you had to stop singing it and you couldn't finish it. So but yeah, it, it gives you kind of like that uneasy, unfinished feeling. We are glad that you tuned in this week. We <laughs> are um very excited to join you next week with another spooky movie from Ooh. from Haley, our horror movie connoisseur. Yay! <laughs> Horror connoisseur. Horror connoisseur. As you lay your little heads on your pillow tonight, uh, sending out good vibes into the universe, (laughs) hoping that maybe Tika could return home or any other cold cases could be solved. That would be... We'll see you. In your nightmares. Dun-dun. (laughs) Dun-dun.